Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. That is all we have time for that. All right, go ahead and take a seat. We're going to get going here this morning. We have a lot of things to celebrate this morning. And so we are going to get going with everything happening. We do. My name is Amy. Uh, I want to welcome you this morning. We do have a lot of things to celebrate. So I'm going to run through a few things that are happening this month, this summer, and I want you to participate. Uh, actually, with that, you can cue the video. Guess what? July 11th at 9 o'clock, we're going to start Vacation Bible School. And we've been working a way to uh, get some props and things ready for you. And we look forward to seeing you July 11th at 9 a.m. till noon. Yesterday, we had 110 children ready to participate in Vacation Bible School this week. Yes. Uh, with that, registration closes tonight, so who knows? We might have even more than that. If you uh, want to volunteer and you haven't yet, uh, please just go and talk to Brad Noll directly, whether that's one, two, or the rest of the week. If you're not able to volunteer or don't have children participating, we would appreciate your prayers, I especially. Um, as 110 children plus whoever else will be running around this campus um, for the next four days. All right, so that is happening this week. Um, I want to make sure you also know a couple things that are happening next week. Uh, next week we have a women's beach day. Uh, we had a hike in June, and this month is a beach day at Donner Lake. Uh, women and children are uh, able to participate. It's at 1030 um, at the lake, and uh, there's more details for that in the back as well. You can also sign up and get more information about some of the ministry that's happening this summer. Uh, the day after that is actually our Boot Scoot Hoedown. Yes! Yes! Boot Scoot Hoedown. All right, this is a fun event for all. It's here at Sierra Bible. Um, it is $10 per person. There is great food. And there's also a couple coming out to be a, a caller for the line dancing. So yes, it is line dancing. You don't have to know how to line dance. That's why there's a caller. They tell you what to do. All right, and so you can come, you can enjoy the food, you can line dance, you can watch people line dance. Um, it's a lot of fun and there is gonna be more information. And of course, next week I will let you know about this as well so that you do not miss it. Uh, also, in a couple weeks after that, okay, no one, no one cares. It's fine, I'm gonna keep talking. All right, so, so August 7th, is our church picnic. So we even had this for a couple of years and we will be at the Donner Lake Pavilion on August 7th at 10 a.m. We will have a service that day and afterwards you're welcome to stay. We will provide a yummy main course and we are asking you to bring a side dish or a dessert to this event. You can uh, fellowship, eat, stay, stay at the lake, but we're also going to have baptisms that day. So if you or someone you know has been thinking about getting baptized, please contact our office and we will connect you with our pastors and we will uh, set up for your baptism that day. We will not be here. No one will be here. Don't come here. That is where we will be um, and it's just at 10 a.m. So those are some fun things happening. I know your summer's full, but these are things that you can add to your calendar uh, as we go. Now, as we move forward, we're gonna have uh, Pastor Caleb come up uh, because we have many people that have graduated this year. 
Thank you. If you have graduated from junior high into high school, would you please come forward and stand on this side of the stage? Come on. Where's Sierra? Sierra Drawlinger, I will hunt you down in this building. Oh, yeah! <laughs> and then if you've graduated high school, would you please come forward and stand on this side of the stage? Please, um, yeah, give them a round of applause. Yeah, there's no stairs on. I did in my mind and, you know, imagine down here, but the junior hires just, you guys did good. Um, Junior hires, uh, they receive, as they are graduating to high school, they receive a Bible. And I love these especially because they have room for notes and I'm just excited for, I, I received one of these. When I graduated junior high, I received one of these from this church, and, and I still have it. It has my name engraved on it, um, and notes from when I went through high school with, with Pastor Jesse. And so it, it's very sentimental to me to be able to give one to you guys, and, um, and how much just I appreciate the teaching I received from my pastor through high school, and I look forward to, to ministering to you guys and with you guys uh, in that ministry, and I can't wait. And, and for you high schoolers, I received my own devotional from Sierra Bible Church. We, we've provided them with a, a morning devotional by Paul Tripp. And your names are engraved inside. And I still have my uh, utmost for his highest that I was presented with on, you know, on this same stage. And so it's, it's, this is special for me. And it's supposed to be special for you. But um, <laughs> I'm just so stoked I get to do this and, um, and to, to celebrate with you graduates, and, and, you know, as you guys are leaving, we also um, provide you guys with a $200 check, so you can buy, like, maybe half a book in college or something like that, but um, we, we, it's our desire that as you guys go out from this place, you are left with, I mean, Sierra Bible Church loves me. Sierra Bible Church is here to support me, and, and I, I, we hope that you come back. And, and that you serve here, and that, um, you know, build a family here. I, I did it. It's been pretty great, so you guys should all do it too. Um, let me pray for you guys. Please um, find your uh, devotional and your guys' Bible, and you guys can have your seats. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for these graduates, and I pray that over the next um, couple of years, Lord, I, I specifically want to pray for their friendships, Lord, as they um, come into high school, Lord, that they would choose wisely, Lord, who, they, they would not just let that happen to them, but they would pick who they want to be friends with. People who um, delight in your word, Lord. I pray that they would be prosperous in everything that they do. Lord, I pray for the graduates going into college. Lord, I pray that you would bring them into great godly friendships, Lord. Wonderful Christian community that would um, bolster them and strengthen them, Lord. I, I pray even the friendships that they're leaving behind, that those would be things that, that strengthen them in you, Father. Lord, that they would delight in your word, and as it says in Psalms 1, that they would prosper in everything they do, that they would be like a tree planted by living waters, and their, their leaf would not wither, Lord. So I pray that you would cover them and bless them, Lord. Send them out, and I pray that you bring them back, and that they would serve here, Lord, and in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Please uh, give them an applause. Okay, good morning. Oh, you're better than that. There's been several people up here. Don't give me the lame energy. Good morning. Okay. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jesse, and I'm part of the pastoral team 
uh, here. And uh, just w- before we get into the Word, before we get into the book of Mark, Brad Beers is going to preach for us uh, this morning. But I want to invite up uh, Laura and Nick Visconti with little baby Harley and anybody else that you want to have come on up. We're doing a baby dedication this morning. So if you don't know, come on up, guys. <clears throat> Those long legs help people get up that. I could never do that. Um, so baby dedication. So the way that we do baby dedications, uh, Nick wants to share a verse with you. But before he does, I just want to explain to you why we do them and, and the purpose behind them and what the hope is behind uh, an event like this. So Nick and Laura, I think it's a really cool story just to share. They prayed for, I don't know, how long you guys were? A couple years trying to have a baby, and boom, she showed up. Just like that. Just like that. It was that easy. It was that easy for me when we had kids, at least. So, But at any rate, they, they're part of our church, and the way we do baby dedications is we want to pray for Harley, and we want to pray that God would guide and direct Nick and Laura to raise Harley according to Scripture. And according to the gospel, grace, forgiveness, mercy, compassion, all those great things. Uh, And they want to basically stand before you and say, we want to be held accountable to our church family, that we would do that for Harley, that one day Harley would come to know Jesus as the precious Lord and Savior that hopefully all of you know who he is. And then on the other side to that, we would ask you to uh, promise back to them, to make a covenant with them, that you would make a promise to help them if this is your church family and, and they're part of the family here, that you would help them guide and direct Harley according to scripture and the gospel. So before I do that, Nick's going to read a verse for you guys this morning and, uh, and then we'll, we'll dedicate Harley. And hopefully, she, we did a practice run this morning. She let me hold her and uh, she stroked my beard gently. And, and uh, yeah, so. Yeah, so Harley's just been such an incredible joy to us that we keep coming back to Psalm 96, 1 through 4, which is really just all about praising the Lord, and that's just what we get to do every morning and every night. So we'll start here, 96, 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all other gods. So, Nick and Laura, would you covenant, and that's just a big million-dollar word for make a promise, to promise to your church family that you'll do everything in your own power to guide Harley according to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And church, they're looking for you to do it back. So just like at a wedding day, for those of you who are part of this family and and you know Nick and Laura, they're asking for that commitment and and that covenant and that promise. Church, would you promise the covenant with Nick and Laura to raise Harley according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God? And the church said, all right, let me pray for Harley. Eat that hand. It's so yummy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this precious little life in my hands, Lord. Harley was fearfully, wonderfully made by you. You formed her. Lord, and even as time progresses, Nick and Laura will learn of her personality, the one that you placed inside of her, that you're aware of. You know 
what her natural strengths and her natural weaknesses will be. We also know that scripture teaches that you've placed her in this time and in this place, that she would make the most of that opportunity, that you've set before her good works beforehand, that she would walk in them. And I pray, Lord, that you would guard her, protect her, bring her to salvation. And I pray, Lord, for Nick and Laura, that you equip them, give them the accountability, fellowship, relationships needed to glorify you and to raise Harley well. And we trust you for it. And ultimately, we know we, we rest her in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you welcome up uh, one of our elders, Brad Beers, and he's going to bring Mark. I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like this church is alive. There's so many kids, and we're making more kids, and we're leading people to follow Christ. Oh, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Big deal to me. If you need a Bible, Frank wants to give one to you. So... Uh, wave at Frank or uh, at, at Dave and get, get a Bible in your hands. We're going to use them this morning. My name's Brad. Uh, I'm part of the, the leadership team here. Very excited to be with you this morning. I don't just say that. Uh, for those of you that actually know me, um, you know that this is my favorite thing to do, to talk about Jesus stuff. Uh, I, there's a whole different version of my personality that comes out when I get to do this type of thing because this is so important. And so I'm so happy to do it. I'm happy that you're here. Let's get into it. If you have a Bible, uh, turn it to Mark 6, and I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And the reason why is we're going to read our whole passage for this morning. And we haven't been able to, get to do this every single week because we've sometimes covered a ton of text. This week, I think we can squeeze it in. But we're doing this to use our bodies to remind ourselves that what we're reading is significant this is not some general text. This is a big deal. We're going to be reading in Mark 6. I'm going to start in verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, but he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. 
And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Jesus, this is not a happy passage. And we thank you for it. We thank you for telling us the truth. I ask that you would do that now through me. That you would speak to your people and give them the message that they need to hear. Amen. You can be seated. Having celebrated a baby dedication, dedicating ourselves to that task, um, I know that there are parents in the, in the building. And so for those of you who are not parents, let me give you a little bit of information about what happens when you become a parent. When you have your first child, they put a book in your hand that doesn't necessarily tell you everything you need to know about parenting, but it does instruct you how to respond to your children when they say certain things. So parents that have studied this book with me, uh, help, help me out with this. Like, um, remember, when, when your child is crying fakely, what are we instructed to tell them? I don't know. I, I mean, there we go. If you keep crying, I'll give you something to cry about. That's what's in the book. It's in the book. Right? When you sit down in a restaurant that was empty with your entire family and then all of a sudden everybody starts coming in, what do you say according to the book? <laughs> no. You say, man, I'm so glad we got here on time. Right? That's what you say every time. Have you not read the... It's been a while for some of you to read the book. Maybe you'll remember some of the other ones. Um, like when your kids won't eat their food, what are you supposed to say? There's, there's starving children in wherever, right? There's starving children in China. Or, and then the snippy kids are like, well, then send it to them, right? <laughs> but that's part of the instruction. When, when they get an injury on their limb, especially dads, what's our responsibility? What do we have to say? Yeah, we're going to have to chop it off, right? <laughs> we're going to have to chop it off. I said that to my friend's son the very first time he met me, and he was deathly afraid of me for like six months afterwards because he's going to cut my limb off. Like when you, when you and your siblings were fighting in the back seat, what are the parents supposed to say? <laughs> yeah, don't make me come back there. That's my favorite one. Like, you're driving the car. Or like, <laughs> the alternative option is I will turn this car around, right? There's, th those are what the instructions are. One more. When something happens to your child and they don't like it, they go, well, that's not fair. Life's not fair. Right? We all say it. I've said it. How helpful is it that we say it? About 0% helpful. Why? Because your kids will not learn that life is not fair by you telling them life is not fair. They will learn that life is not fair by living life. And they'll look at it and be like, whoa, my parents were right. This is not fair. 
Life's not fair. And sometimes the text is willing to take us to times that tell us life's not fair. When we read this story, as we kind of go through the book of Mark, as we have been, Jesse uh, used the phrase last week that sometimes Mark will do sandwich stories, where he'll intro you to something, he'll then tell a disconnected story, and then go back to the intro story. And sure enough, in, in chapter 6, we have one of those sandwich situations, where in 7 through 13, Jesus sends out the disciples, having told them to go announce the kingdom. And then after verse 30, they come back and some other amazing things happen. But we're given this story in the sandwich of something that happened to John, most commonly known as John the Baptist. And Mark almost writes it in a way, I mean, the the transition, if you've noticed at the beginning of the text in verse 14, we're talking about King Herod, and he's thinking about Jesus, and they start talking about what people are saying about Jesus, but almost like Mark out of the blue goes, oh yeah, I got to tell you about John the Baptist and what happened to him. We get this story of what happened to him. And as a result, we're left with what would probably be the title to the story of life's not fair. Let's take a look at it. And when we look at this story, I want to intro it, or uh, not intro, that's not the right word. I want to explain it to you in three different scenes. Scene one is the background for the story. The background. In verse 14, what you are first intro to is King Herod. I don't know if you know much about him, but let me give you a little bit of a background with him. Herod is actually more of a title than a name. Yes, they all bore the name Herod, but there were lots of Herods. They were from the Herodian family. And he's listed as, what's the first word in verse 14? King. Now, for those of you that are a little bit New Testament savvy, during this time frame, was, were the Jews in charge of Israel? No. Who was? The Romans. The Romans were in charge, but the Romans had figured something out. The Romans had figured out that if you want to rule a people, but you don't want them constantly trying to overthrow you, set up some type of puppet government that makes them feel like they're nice and in charge of their lives. And so they allowed, the Romans allowed there to be kings. And yes, they were kings in a way. They had some influence in the respective areas where they were in charge. This Herod that we're being, that we're being intro to in verse 14, he was known as Herod Antipas. And he was in charge quote-unquote, in charge of the Galilean area. Now, is there a famous guy from the Galilean region that we talk about from time to time in this building? Safe, that safe Sunday school answer. Go for it. Here's your chance. Jesus, right? Yes. Jesus was from Galilee. And Herod, being one of the Herods, were introed to a little bit of his power and his influence. Herod takes a trip out to the coast to visit his brother, Herod Philip. He's walking around, checking things out. But here's the thing. If you're on the coast, which is much more strategic for the Roman Empire, you don't necessarily have as much influence as you would when you're inland. He goes out and visits his brother, Herod Philip, Starts looking around and goes, she's got a good looking wife. Maybe I can get her to come with me. 
So Herod propositions his brother's wife and says, hey, I've got more juice in Israel. Why don't you come be with me? Why don't you come reign with me? Now, here's what's interesting. Her name, Herodias, she actually was also of royal blood. There's all kinds of royal inbreeding when things like this happen. She was of royal blood. And because of that, she had some of her own autonomy, far more than what a woman normally would have in the first century. And she gets the availability of choosing. She chooses to leave her first husband, leave him there on the coast, and goes to Herod on one con- goes to Herod Antipas on one condition. You got to get rid of your other wives. Herod goes, "Okay. Come on over." And he comes o- she comes on over and everybody knows it. This is happening in the public eye. Then we're introduced to somebody else in this background scene. Verse 18. John's clear voice, John the Baptist, John who was a prophet similar to the prophets of old, whose job it was to speak for God, gets in front of the king and says, hey, you remember that whole passage of Leviticus 18 that specifically says, you shall not take your brother's wife? You're kind of doing the opposite of that. Now, is this a smart move for most of the time, if you were thinking about preserving your life, it's probably not a great idea for you to start a national scandal by calling out the king. But here's the thing, is that even though it was the king, he was still a king in Israel, and they were still called to adhere to the Old Testament law. And so John, causing this national scandal, calls out the king and says, you can't do what you're doing. Oddly enough, what did we see from the text in verse 20? That Herod actually liked John. Herod was caused problems by John, or probably easier to say John caused problems for Herod, but he liked him. So he didn't want to kill him. Well, what's the next best thing? Shut him up. Put him in jail. And if I can put him in jail, at least he won't be wandering around telling everybody the headlines that I've stolen my brother's wife against the law and that we are living in a complete disaster in terms of obeying God's law. He throws him in jail, but who's not happy with this solution? Herodias. We're told that she holds a grudge against John, most likely because she knew that what she had done was also wrong. And the people are never going to accept that, she's, that she is where she is. They know that, they, that she just did it for power and for influence. And so she sat there harboring revenge in her heart, waiting for the right time. That's scene one. Now, scene two is not in the text of Mark. We actually have to reach to another gospel to pick up scene two. But I think it's really important for you to know about scene two, to understand a little bit more of what this text is trying to teach us. In scene two, we are shown John in prison. Matthew 11, if you wanted to take a look at that at some other time when you were reviewing this or if you're taking notes, Matthew 11 records scene two. I'm just going to summarize it for you. John is sitting in prison and he, still having some disciples of his own, tells his disciples 
go find Jesus and ask him. Does anybody remember what he wants them to ask? Yeah. Are you the guy? Are, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Are you the one who is to come or should we be waiting for someone else? Now, this is really interesting to think about this. Anytime you read the text of scripture, you need to remember that these were not magical people. These were people like you and I with feelings and experiences and they would interact with life very similar to you and I. And that's why it's remarkable to me that John would send his disciples out to ask Jesus, hey, are you the guy? Reason being, in the Gospel of John, which was not written by John the Baptist, but the Apostle John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, John had earlier said things like this. John's out there. John the Baptist is walking with his disciples. He sees Jesus, and he goes to his disciples and goes, hey, look, look. The Bible term for this is behold. But he goes, look at that guy. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what he told his disciples. And his disciples understood what he was saying. They left John and they went to follow Jesus. There was no mincing of words. John was walking around according to John chapter 1 in verse 33. He's telling people, hey, don't forget, I was there. I baptized him. I saw the Holy Spirit come down on him like a dove. I saw these things. And this is why, according to John 1 34, he was telling people, I know that this guy Jesus is the son of God. And then in Matthew 11, while John is rotting away in jail, he sends disciples over to him and goes, are you really the guy? I want that to sink in for a second. Now I can think of a couple of reasons why John might have reacted this way. One of them theological, completely understandable. Jesus was not the type of Messiah that anyone was expecting. There's a New Testament theologian that depending upon what circle you run in, sometimes he's controversial, sometimes he's not. But nobody, nobody questions this guy's ability to know first century history very well. Everybody knows that this guy knows what he's talking about. His name is N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright concisely writes about messianic expectations this way. Though there is no one fixed view of a Messiah in the period, in many cases, it was the very this worldly ruler or judge who would arise within Israel and would enact the divine judgment and vengeance on Israel's oppressors. Nobody was expecting a Messiah whose plan it was to come and die. No one. That wasn't part of anyone's expectations. And John is looking at this guy, Jesus, who he, had, who he had yelled to other people, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's looking at this guy and he's like, why is he not building an army at this point? It seems like it's time. Everybody knows who you are. The kings are talking about you. The religious elite are talking about you. The people are thronging to you. This would be a really good time to put together an effective army. And he's not doing it. I can understand why John might start to doubt a little bit. But I think that there's probably another reason. 
if I'm honest. If I put myself in John's jail cell, you have to remember something about John the Baptist's story. From the outset, an angel specifically appears to his dad. This is not normal. An angel specifically appears to his dad and goes, hey, good news, you're going to give birth to a weirdo. Right? He's not, he, he's going to have something that is different than everyone else that's alive. He will have the Holy Spirit resting upon him. But the trade-off is that he's going to live a life that is way more difficult than anyone could tolerate. John buys into this. And what does he do? He spends his entire adult life living in the wilderness. And remember when the Bible says the word wilderness, it's talking about the wilderness of a desert. This is not a place where you go to lay by the pool. This is a terrible place to have to spend day after day. And instead of buying nice clothes, as he could have, as a prophet of God would be entitled to, as the one who gets to speak for God to the people, he wears camel hair. He eats bugs. That's his form of sustenance. He was specifically told from before the time he was born, he's not allowed to drink alcohol. This dude, every single day, would get up and tell people, repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. Get yourself ready. Every single day, he would spend moment after moment giving up luxury, giving up comfort, giving up acceptance in social circles so that he could do God's work. And where did it land him? Jail. Let's not act like most of us are above the fact that we wouldn't doubt God in this moment. God, I've spent my entire life doing everything you've ever wanted me to do, and I'm rotting away in jail because of it. This doesn't seem fair doesn't seem right. Remember, even in a Jewish mindset, a Jewish theological mindset, if you do things right, then good things happen to you. If you disobey God, then bad things happen to you. Getting thrown in jail unjustly sounds like a bad thing. That could cause you to question everything that you've stood for up until this moment. And like John, I could see myself asking the question, Jesus, are you the guy? Because this isn't working like I thought it was going to work. This isn't right. It's, it's not fair. This is what leads us to scene three. Back in Mark 6, verse 21 tells us, an opportunity came at an opportune moment. Herod throws a giant party, and he invites anyone who's anyone Anybody with any amount of power and significance in the region, they're invited. And they are going to get shown a great time. There's going to be good food. There's going to be good drink. And we're going to have the finest dancing girls that the world could provide us. And who's the best one? This is a little weird. Did you notice who it was? The best girl there. It's the daughter of his wife. So you got two options. She's either his daughter, ew, or his stepdaughter, 
still kind of ew. But she's the best one. Now Herod wants to show off to all his rich buddies, right? She did such a good job, and everybody's so happy with her performance that he goes, I'll give you anything you want. You, you ever seen you know, a movie or seen like a, been around somebody where like the rich guy's just like being magnanimous. I'll give you anything you want. Up to half my kingdom. Not even wealthy divorcees get up to half of the kingdom of somebody. Up to half my kingdom. You can have it. Now, Herodias' daughter does probably the, the smartest thing in the entirety of this text that we're covering today. When you need some good advice, don't go to your friends. You go to your parents, right? They've been there before you. They kind of know some things. They made some mistakes. So she goes to her mom. Problem is, mom is the wicked witch of the West. Mom, what should I do? I get anything. According to verse 24, knowing that this, this deal was too good to mess up, Herodias has so much vengeance in her heart that she turns down the entire financial security of her own daughter. She turns away her college fund, turns every opportunity she could possibly have, puts it to the side and says, give me John the Baptist's head right now. In Middle Eastern and Jewish culture, when you make an oath, especially if you make an oath around everyone that has influence in your area, you have to stick with it. Everyone's watching Herod. What's he going to do? What is he going to do? He knows that he can't go back. So in verses 27 to 29, Herodias gets her way. And she gets John's head on a platter. The platter, I can almost envision it just getting put on the table next to all the platters of food. And the story ends there. Did you notice that? No words from John. Nothing else. That's it. I actually had half a mind to finish my message this morning right there and just walk off. Because that's the way that Mark leaves it. It's so dark. It's so unfair. It's so not right. How many times have you watched a movie and the bad guy wins and you're like, I can't wait to watch that movie again? We, we don't watch those movies twice. Once was enough. Probably could have skipped the once. I don't need more movies telling me about how life is unfair. I already know that life's unfair. I don't need it to be reinforced in a movie. And yet the story ends right here, leaving us dissatisfied. And would it be enough for you to just hear, well, sometimes life's unfair? I'm going to be honest. It's not good enough for me. It's true. But it doesn't sit right, does it? My friends, Sierra Bible Church is a church that is committed, no matter what, 
to try to tell you the truth. We're going to talk about, as a result of that, we're going to talk about unpopular things. We take very seriously that it's not our job to try to make you feel good. It's our job to help you prepare for the life that God is setting in front of you. And so it's with that goal in mind that I'm about to say the following. If you're coming to church, or even more, if you are following after Jesus in the hopes that he's going to fix all your problems, that he's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, that he's going to make you feel good about yourself, I have some bad news for you. Further, if you're hoping one day to be in heaven and be surrounded by all the things you've ever wanted and surrounded by the people that you so ache to see again and that you will be given this luxurious reward, you've misunderstood the deal. If John could walk up those stairs and stand here in front of you today, he wouldn't tell you about how fun it was to follow God. He wouldn't tell you about how much reward he was handed when he died. But he would be beaming brighter than a bride on her wedding day. Why? Because in the end, John didn't get rewarded with stuff. What did he get? He got Jesus. And in Jesus, we receive everything our soul could ever truly desire. But you have to understand that we do not pursue Jesus because of the rewards. We pursue Jesus to get Jesus. That's why. Once you have understood this, you can face any difficulty that could happen in this life. No, Brad, I, I, I don't think you understand. Like, it's, it's bad. Yeah, I, I know. Brad, I did everything right. I checked every single box. No one could bring a charge against how I did this, and I still got destroyed. Yeah, I, I get it. Brad, you've seen the pain. You've seen the hurt. You've seen the injustice. You've seen the mess. Yeah, I, I know. But this is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, which means our minds are getting so jacked with because the world is such a mess. We're perplexed, but we do not despair. This is my favorite one. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're not alone. And why is it that God does this? Why does God allow this? Paul answers in, first, in 2 Corinthians 4 so that the life of Jesus may be in our bodies. Life is not fair. But do you know what's really not fair? It's not fair 
that the king of the universe, the one who created all things beautiful, right, and good that you have ever experienced, that he is willing to lower himself and live in me and in you. That's not fair. It is not fair that a God who is so holy and so perfect would trade the blessed glory that is before him and put on stinky human flesh and die for a humanity that would look at him on a cross and make fun of him in the process. That's not fair. No matter how bad you have it, no matter how bad you will have it, if you have Jesus, it's not fair. You got all the good stuff. Jesus, I say these things to these people, and you know that in my heart, that there are so many days that I don't believe this. I get so wrapped up in ridiculous things. Forgive me. Forgive us for thinking that there's anything that we could get in this life or the next that would be greater than just getting you. Oh, my great king, one day, when we get you unfiltered in all of your greatness and all of these things that distract us are melted away, I know that in that moment that it will be easy to give you glory and easy to worship you. Holy Spirit, give us the power to start doing that now, to not wait to be willing to submit to whatever option our steps will have for us, no matter how dark they might be, knowing that if we have you, we have it all. God, we worship you because you are worthy of worship, and we ask for your help for us to do it even better. Amen. Would you stand with us? Paul wrote in a letter to the Romans that our troubles, our sufferings, lead to endurance. And then endurance builds our character. And our character leads to hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that word, Brad. Let's um, sing a chorus together. It goes like this. All my hope is in Jesus. Thank God 